Good afternoon and thank you so much for being with us. It is a Wednesday afternoon and that means it is time for us to check in with Claire Newell. We're going to talk some travel. Claire, good afternoon to you. Good afternoon. So, um, I have a little bit of butterflies in my tummy right now because right the second I get off the radio with you, I'm about to give a keynote speech to 300 people. Oh, that's no problem. <laughs> so, you can do that. Oh, yeah. Everyone says, oh, yeah, you'll be great. You, you do lots of speaking. I'm like, no, I look into a little black hole when a little red light goes on and I talk to nobody. Much, um, much different. Everybody that's true. It. it is different. Um, but lots going on in the world of travel. And um, one is with an airline that is just so popular, even though it's an American airline, because it services so much into YBR, and that's Alaska Airlines. So um, I thought I would share that news. Alaska Airlines has exercised this option for the purchase of 52 Boeing 737 MAX aircraft between 2024 and 2027. And these planes are going to augment the 43 MAX jets that Alaska plans to receive by the end of next year. So They've done a lot of uh, groundwork for long-term expansion, and they have actually secured the rights for 105 more MAX planes. They must love these um, right through 2030, and it's the largest commitment for future aircraft in Alaska Airlines history. What this is a sign of to me, though, Jill, is just the I'm seeing so many carriers start to purchase more aircraft. And that just all bodes well that we're going in the right direction after such a, you know, a chaotic time during the pandemic. Yeah, it does. It certainly does seem like things are getting back to those pre-pandemic levels and that confidence in the travel industry. Yeah, it's really nice to see um, because it it did so much damage. And I know that there's lots of talk that for a lot of the airlines and some destinations, it's going to still take years. I mean, we're still slowly seeing some destinations only start to see travelers back. So, uh, but I know as Canadians, we really are keen to travel at the moment. Um, And that was one of the next things I wanted to bring up is that, you know, with inflation and rising prices, you would think that Canadians would cut back on holiday shopping. Um, But according to IBM's 2022 holiday shopping and travel report, their travel budgets for the season are way up. Like, I'm talking significantly up. The study, study found that uh, holiday travel budgets of Canadian consumers are up 131% this year, and that is significantly higher than the global average increase of 49%. So Canadians love their travel. You know, I, I've always known that. Um, and I, I, whenever I travel myself, I notice that there's lots of Brits, lots of Germans, Australians also love their travel. But Canadians, right at the top of the list for international travel. Hmm, well, that is some good news that people are getting back into it uh, and uh, getting out there and traveling as well. You're also taking a look. This is a fun story. It has to do with the Holland America line. I know cruise ships uh, are in the news today. I think the final one's leaving Vancouver for the season. But this one has to do with a, a favorite four-legged friend. Oh, this is such a cute story. It's why I wanted to include it. This dog, whose name is Joska, it's a service dog. Killed a black lab retriever, reached this milestone achievement of 700 cruise days on Holland America, which makes her eligible to receive this platinum medallion, which is the highest past guest award for cruising days. So this lucky little girl has spent most of her days 
cruise on Holland America with her owner. So I thought that was cute. Um, 10 years old and 700 cruise days. That's pretty good. That's a lot of cruises <laughs> for that dog, for sure. Yeah. Uh, and this kind of goes to what we were just talking about and some increase or sorry, updated information on how much Canadians really are traveling both to the U.S. and overseas. Yeah, and so this came out from StatsCan. This is the report that um, you're you're referring to, Jill. It was released, the updated information for travel to the U.S. and overseas by Canadians for the summer travel season. What they were looking at was August. So overall trips abroad by Canadians in August of this year, uh, nearly 3.8 million. And that's an increase of literally a whopping 340% over August of 2021 when we had all the restrictions in place. Not surprising, but that's still a huge number. Yeah, that is a very big number uh, for sure. Uh, What's the news as well with Air Canada and Emirates? We had mentioned that this would be coming. It now actually takes effect November the 1st. Um, Air Canada and Emirates, they've launched their previously announced code share uh, cooperation. So customers of both carriers will now have connectivity to 46 markets spanning three continents, including destinations across the Americas, Middle East, Africa, Southeast Asia, and the Indian subcontinent. I know a lot of people have been waiting for this because certain parts of the world, if you're an Aeroplan member, have been really difficult. Um, But now places like Dubai, which will be the hub for Emirates, are so much easier and hopefully will be a lot cheaper moving forward given um, this co-chair agreement with Air Canada and Emirates now. And I understand as well, Air Canada is making some changes and trying to make it seems like flying all the parts of flying, whether it's in the airport or on the plane, trying to make it a little more comfortable. Yeah, they made this announcement basically that there are um, improvements that are taking effect starting in November. And it's for all levels of service. So even economy, you're going to see some changes in dining. There'll also be more in-flight entertainment. They're talking about 25% more choice. Um, There'll be more connectivity options and enriched premium experience. And you'll start to notice this. Uh, It won't all come into play, you know, starting November 1st, but you'll see it start and, and be added. They're also going to see new and restored service in Air Canada Maple Leaf lounges and in premium cabins on board. Um, they've got a new celebrity chef that uh, is going to be part of their menus. So you'll see more choice. Um, so it's all good. And one of the big things, and I thought this was an, uh, an important one, I'd love more airlines to do this. It's a first for a Canadian airline. There's going to be complimentary high-speed Wi-Fi when traveling on premium Rouge. So not across their fleet, but this is a start. Uh, and Claire, I found this really interesting because with Air Canada, like you were just explaining, bringing all of these more options, high-speed Wi-Fi, better food, it seems like we're going to that extreme in some cases in the airlines. And then the other extreme, kind of the lower, the budget carriers where you're paying for everything, including now a fee to have that carry-on, carry-on that used to be free. Yeah, that was an announcement that came late last week. Um, Well, it started to take effect. We knew in the travel industry it was happening, but Sunwing added a new uh, adjustment to their baggage fee. Uh, Their carry-on luggage, you now have to pay $25 each way. So a personal item, which is something like a purse handbag, messenger bag, briefcase, that type of thing, that is not subject to the fee. That will still be included in your ticket price, but... um, And so will small backpacks and duffel bags. But if it's a large backpack or a small suitcase like most people do, 
when they take carry on luggage that will be subject to this $25 fee. People grumbling about this, um, but the airline is basically saying it's kind of pay to play. Not everybody wants to take a carry-on bag. They just want their personal item, and they want to pay for their uh, their checked luggage. So this is uh, this is really going toward what a lot of the European carriers have done for low-cost carriers. So the EasyGen, Ryanair's of the world. It'll be interesting to see what happens. We have a lot of players in the game at the moment in this country um, as far as low-cost carriers. When you think about it, just even before the pandemic, you really didn't hear of Canada Jetlines uh, swoop links uh, there's just so many and so i think that more and more may may do this type of thing so i think we need to get used to that but it is nice to see the legacy carriers putting more services in for those who want to fly them especially for business travelers who are doing that day in day out all right that is an interesting one for sure let's get people traveling what deals do you have for us today well, I have um, a pretty good deal, I thought, for a five-star away to Las Vegas. Uh, only two dates, though, Jill. November the 21st or December the 11th. It's air and three nights hotel at a five-star property. In this case, it's the Aria. There are a couple of other choices, though. Three ninety-nine taxes of two fifty-one. Um, I've got a great deal for a hot spot to Puerto Vallarta, Mexico, on December 4th. That's the only day at this price. But it's air and seven nights in a four-and-a-half-star beachfront all-inclusive resort, a beautiful property, eight ninety-five, taxes of four ninety, And not until next year, October 2nd of next year, there is this great deal I saw on an eight-night Hawaii cruise that leaves from Vancouver. So it crosses the Pacific, goes around the Hawaiian Islands, ends in Honolulu. The eight-night cruise with a $50 U.S. onboard credit is six ninety nine, taxes of one ninety seven. So if you think about it, um, pretty good deal. Include your meals, accommodation, everything. Yeah. Anyway, you just have to wait till till next October <laughs> to go on that one. Yeah, it's one of those. It, it you know, if you book early, you save the the big dollars. That will go. That will double by the time it actually gets much closer to the date of that. Um, do we have time for one more? Or yes. Are we out of time? No, Would let's. You? That's for sure. Okay, so this is a, a new long stay to Croatia, one day, April the 4th. And this is a package that includes the airfare, 21 nights hotel, breakfast every day, and transfers. And it's twenty six ninety nine taxes of eight twenty. Awful to Europe at the moment. Those are going to come down. Um, but we'll, we'll have to wait and see. But again, if you're a snowbird, a great deal for a long stay to Croatia. All right. A beautiful, beautiful country as well. Claire, thank you so much for this. And uh, you'll, I know you'll do great on the keynote. So uh, good <laughs> luck and we'll talk to you again soon. Sounds good, Jill. Thank you. Well, police in Delta say they are looking for more photos and videos after they say hundreds of rowdy youth gathered on Halloween night and caused property damage. There was mischief as well as assaults. Those are just some of the sounds of some of the video that has already surfaced in those areas. Police saying that crowds formed at South Delta Secondary School as well as Denison Park in Tawasson. And officers at one point saw the crowd surge to as many as 400 young people who had gathered. Well, joining us now to talk more about this is George Harvey. He's the mayor of Delta. Mayor Harvey, thank you so much for being with us. Oh, thank you for your interest in this subject. 
Well, when you see and hear what happened and hear from police what they were dealing with, how do you respond to that? Extremely disappointed. And my response is, and sure, we're going to do a very good debriefing. Uh, after the uh, inaugurals, I'll be calling for a meeting of the school trustees and council together, along with their police chief and fire chief. And also, I'm going to be involving our mayor's youth council because we need to hear from youth also. So we need to ensure that this doesn't happen again and is better controlled and are better prepared next time. Has this happened before as far as young people gathering this many young people and causing this kind of damage? Uh, we've had damage over the years, as other cities have, uh, but not to this extent and not to this extent of extent of the numbers. I mean, very disappointed. We're uh, in debriefing with our chief of police uh, this morning. Uh, they did apprehend a youth that was, uh, they, they pulled over the crowd. They actually transported him to his house, put, turned him over to his mother. They then had to reapprehend him again because all he did was go home, get changed, and came back. So I'm very disappointed in, in some of the uh, attitude with regards to uh, what's happening at the families. Um, the families are reasonable. I've had some people say you can't expect everybody to know where their kids are all the time. As a former, you know, as a parent, I understand that. But I also have a responsibility to sit down after this and talk to them and say, do you know how dangerous it was? These aren't what we call low-risk fireworks that we've had for many, many years. These are instruments that could cause permanent, if not fatal, damage to individuals. The bombs that were going off that you heard in that video, those aren't fireworks. Those are concussion bombs. And uh, they are there and could cause se- severe damage to individuals. So it's a whole different dynamic in the type of fireworks that are being sold and brought to places like that. I'm also very, very disappointed. And our police have picked up intel. Uh, there was actually what we used to call like dial a dope. This one was dial a fireworks. So we actually had people who actually would deliver to predetermined sites to sell fireworks from their cars. Hmm. And well, I was going to ask you, because I know as consumer fireworks are not allowed in Delta. So I, w- I was going to ask if, if you do or have any idea where the youth, where the young people that were taking part in this, what, where they were getting them. Well, that's it. The police have that under investigation right now. Uh, and I know we're saying youth and young people. Do you know what are the ages that we're talking about here? Uh, from what I can make from the video, they were high school students. I know police are asking for more video and for more uh, photographs. Uh, We just saw Vancouver police release 10 still frames of people they are looking for in connection with the the, the riot that we saw at uh, Playland at the P&E grounds a few weeks ago. Uh, Are you confident or does it seem like by releasing those photos and video or by getting more of that, police will be able to identify more of those who were involved? Well, I'll actually leave that up to the police, but my job as mayor is to ensure, we're, as I mentioned, we're working with the, our school trustees and council and the community to see how we can have more respect. I mean, they were shooting them at our police chiefs, uh, staff, our police officers, our firefighters. Uh, I'm just really think we're fortunate nobody was seriously hurt. But we did have two injuries, two officers, which I'm very, very disappointed about. Can you tell us anything about the two injuries to the officers? Not at this time, no. I understand in one case, too, that one of uh, somebody who was at one of the gatherings, one of the people, her jacket uh, caught fire or, or that one girl did suffer from burns when her jacket caught fire. Do you know anything about that? Um, I, I heard that, but also they were aiming these. And they didn't look like Roman candles to me, uh, which we've had for, for decades. They looked like they're almost like uh, marine flares, which you're familiar with. And they are so, so you know, can cause such burning problems because they don't stop burning once they hit you. I mean, 
And I think that could be something that happened in this case. But firing this, these types of fireworks at each other and at the crowds and at our, police, our first responders, we, we have to do, you know, do something to ensure that that doesn't happen again. Uh, we're always going to have little bits of incidents insofar as damage to our recreation centers, to our fields. Uh, but also, this created a really severe concern for public safety throughout Delta. Because when you have your resources concentrated, as we had to have in South Delta, we're also having Halloween events happening up in North Delta, including we managed to stop one of our artificial turf fields up in North Delta from being lit on fire. So from an overall Delta, city of Delta public safety, uh, that's the concern I have as mayor, is the risk that this show could happen to our city. And I mean, it seems like such a shift or, or so much. This is not the same kind of kids going out and having a bit of fun. I think there are a ton of people perhaps listening to this and we're going to open up the phone lines, but that will remember being younger. I think we all probably at some point maybe lit off some fireworks or even firecrackers that were illegal. But but this seems like it's really taking it to another level when like you're talking about, you're aiming it at people, you're trying to set fire to a turf yard, you're causing sprinkler damage at a park. I mean, this is really destructive behavior. Hey, I was one of those that did it in my youth and uh, had to create some firecrackers with my kids, uh, you know, in Delta, you know, a few, not that many years ago. But these are almost like weapons now. They're not the traditional, what we would call low-risk fire fireworks. And even there was concerns, and we've had people, of course, uh, lose an eye, and we've had people lose, you know, uh, indexes in their hands. Uh, but again, these are totally, totally different from what, of the, our normal experiences. And as I say, the city puts on uh, festivals and fireworks. I'm all for celebrating festivals in our community, but we need to do it under permit. And that we say, as I said, we do it ourselves as a city of North Delta for Canada Days, for example. Don't want to say we want to ban everybody. That's not what I'm asking about, but we need to get under control of how these types of fireworks are coming into our city and how we can eliminate them. And so how do you do that when you say if there's like a, the equivalent of dial-a-dope, but it's dial-a-fireworks? I mean, people aren't getting the, these through. It's not like they're going to another jurisdiction where they're sold legally and then bringing them back to Delta if they're doing that. So how do you even begin to crack down on that? Well, I'm looking for good suggestions from our police department. As I say, our police chief is on it. He's concerned about it. And we need to examine, understand how it's going, how it's being, how it's being used and see what we can do to stop that. But that's the number one priority for us right now. And you get the impression then, when we're talking about there were cases where people were pointing these fireworks, uh, pointing what may have been marine flares at people, at first responders, officers and such. Is this a criminal investigation? I think that I, I kind of have to leave that up to the police chief, but uh, I know we're very concerned about that. Uh, but this is all that we have to study after this event. But I would just like to say one thing to the Delta community. You know, not all our kids are bad. Uh, I go to many sporting events. I watch the football games and this tremendous community spirit. Uh, but we have to ensure that our students know exactly the problems that this can lead to, which are like could have lifelong effects on individuals. But uh, you know, once, they, once individuals start actually aiming those devices at our first responders, that I, to me, I would hope that that would be a criminal matter. All right, Mayor Harvey, thank you so much for joining us and for talking more about this today. Thank you so much. 
Well, it was just last month the B.C. government, as well as the union representing paramedics, announced they had reached a temporary deal, and that deal meant to boost ambulance staffing in both rural and remote communities. This is an agreement that ups the amount of pay paramedics get when they are on call, as well as on some of those overtime and recall shifts. However, paramedics are still without a contract, and they have now put out a new campaign. It is called Sounding the Alarm. We're going to talk more about that and also a specific case of another person who called for help and had to wait for several hours. And joining us to talk more about that is Troy Clifford. He is the president of the Paramedics and Dispatchers Union. Troy Clifford, thank you so much for being with us and for joining us to talk about this today. Thank you for having me on. We're going to talk a bit more about uh, this new campaign that has been put out by the BC Paramedics Union. But before we get to that, can you talk a little bit about one particular case that uh, the union has raised? This is about somebody, a woman, a 70-year-old woman who called for help in Crescent Beach and had to wait quite some time for an ambulance. What happened there? The, the tragic situation in, in South Surrey, White Rock, Crescent Beach area was, uh, was a, what I understand and what's been reported as is. And it, uh, you know, it's been circulated. It's pretty graphic, the pain that the lady was in and um, the tragic the amount of time she had to wait for uh, an ambulance with that significant injuries. Uh, um, it's just uh, disturbing to watch um, and listen to. Um, and the fact that it took, uh, I think, over between three and four hours for her to get an emergency ambulance uh, uh, in an urban center, and uh, it's just absolutely tragic. Uh, um, and it, from what I understand, it's just not enough ambulances staff to meet the demands. And that's why we're seeing these significant delays. And sadly, this is not the uh, only one we've talked about. And uh, we continue to see these. And really, that's that's why we're highlighting uh, these uh, things. You know, I don't want to sensationalize uh, somebody's tragedy because that uh, is not what this is about. It's just, but it does highlight how um, dire the situation is and that how real it is for impacting people. And humans and, and lives and um, outcomes for patients. Right. And and again, not to only focus on, on this case, but it does anybody that hears about this will, will feel for this woman that it happened in uh, October. So uh, from, from what I understand, she fell, a 70-year-old, 70-year-old woman fell, she broke her leg and then waited, like you said, around four hours for paramedics to arrive. Do you know why? Was there simply, there just wasn't an ambulance to go and there wasn't anybody that could go and answer that call? Yeah, so what was reported to me is that uh, it was prioritized as not a, a critical emergency, so it was just bumped down in the priorities and when they triage um, and that. And, I, you know, I, obviously that's not appropriate uh, in my view, and we've asked BCHS to look at assessment of that call. But regardless, uh, you know, how they triage is, is based on emergencies, uh, life-threatening first, and then, and then as you work down. And so what I understand is there just was not enough ambulances, and they were going to higher priority calls, including in the area where the just uh, more serious, uh, you know, when talk about higher priority calls, I want to mean that uh, that is not a priority call, but uh, when you get your heart attack, your cardiac arrest, your shortness of breath, those are considered uh, top tier, most critical calls. Uh, and that's what we're seeing an uh, increase in those. But coupled with our shortages of ambulances that aren't staffed, uh, we're seeing these dire numbers. So increased call volumes, uh, more acuity calls that are very high, uh, which we're seeing these patterns, and then just not enough ambulances uh, ultimately uh, resources-wise, even if we could staff them. 
Uh, now, you're, the paramedics union has put out uh, this new campaign, as I mentioned. It's called Sounding the Alarm as you try and reach a new contract uh, with, uh, with the province. Uh, we did hear, though, recently, just uh, late last month in October, that there was a temporary agreement between uh, BC Emergency Health Services and the ambulance uh, paramedics of BC as far as better compensation for on-call pay, better compensation for overtime or, or shifts on evenings and weekends. So it was, what are your thoughts then on, on reaching that new contract, but also having this in place in the meantime? So the, the temporary measures are, you know, separate to collective agreement. It was meant to try and help uh, bolster them. It won't address, unfortunately, the, the significant shortages. And, and we worked hard with the government to push for those temporary measures, and they will help a little bit but they're not going to ultimately solve all of our problems, which is, uh, is that we need to address and have a meaningful collective room drill delivered that addresses the service delivery issues, the, um, the large disparity in wages between us and the public safety uh, discipline, police and fire and health, where we're about 30% behind. A precarious on-call model that we talked about in rural and remote, um, where, you know, $2 an hour and part-time uh, service delivery uh, reliance on part-time members on $2 an hour and without wages and, uh, or, sorry, benefits and um, compensation. And then the mental health components that we're, we're looking for. Those are the big issues, but obviously service delivery and resources is our third big bucket that we're trying to push. And the reason for this campaign, we, we you know, we really struggled with how to continue keeping the uh, pressure on to not only get a collective agreement, because that's secondary to the changes we need to to address the uh, situation of the ambulance service and it's been going on for a couple of years. And the reason for the campaign is twofold. It's to keep the awareness out there and ask for support of public to keep the pressure on to fix the ambulance service and address those disparities and the issues that are affecting paramedics and our patients. But also um, to really highlight that this has gotten to a situation that we, we desperately need um, support of the public and, and, and to pressure to really address these issues underlying and, uh, and while we move forward to try to get a collective agreement that really addresses those big team, those big buckets that uh, we need, no needs to happen. So it, it's kind of twofold to keep the conversation live and hard, but we also don't want to, I think one of the things, Joe, we don't want to do is we, we really struggle with, uh, you know, um, sensationalizing or, or warning the public that, uh, you know, the ambulance, uh, the challenges we're seeing, but I think uh, we're at a point where people need to honestly hear how dire it is. Do you know how many paramedics then would need to be hired uh, right away or right out of the gate to kind of help with those staffing numbers? And and how what number then would make a difference? So right now we've uh, you know over the last couple of years we've done a very good job working with this government on changing from um, uh, we have about forty five hundred total paramedics and dispatchers in BC. Um, and then of that number, uh, leading into about two years ago, two and a half years ago, we were about 30% full-time and 70% part-time on call as our breakdown. Um, last numbers we've seen in, in September were, were 55% full-time now and, 30, and sorry, 45% on call of those numbers. So we're seeing a move towards full-time, and that's really one of the big benefits that we're seeing from uh, one of the positives, if you could, that uh, we're moving to a full-time, more po- full-time um, more professional, uh, committed, uh, that. And that's a good thing. Um, so to answer your question more specifically, we need entry-level recruitment into this profession. We easily estimate that we could use a 1,000 new paramedics coming into the service.
um, just to fill the gaps and fill the transition of retirement and retention um, and the uh, people off uh, and filling that. It's a thousand new, and easily we 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 know that we have about three to five hundred full-time vacancies that will ultimately be filtered up from those numbers. So um, within our ranks, we need to uh, get those positions filled, which we've been doing a very good job with BCHS and doing that. Um, but we need to recruit into the profession and do that. We have to be competitive. And that comes back to those uh, issues that we talked about, the wage and benefit, that on-call model. So it kind of gets, it, they're all linked together, but we also need to have paramedics and dispatchers that are healthy mind and body. And that deals with those significant numbers that we're talking about with uh, we know that uh, about 30% of our members across the board uh, are off with either psychological workplace uh, work safe BC injuries or in treatment for them or in our critical incident stress program which uh, being treated either off or being treated while they're working or self-managing through their their healthcare professional so that's one in three essentially our members are are significantly psychologically or morally injured as a result of the work they do. And that has to change. Um, and then the service delivery model, we've talked about that a lot. You know, rural and remote needs to be recruited from and retained in those communities. We moved, we're moving to full-time in those communities has worked very well. Um, and we need to do more of that. But we also need to address Metro Vancouver and urban centres that are short of staff and that uh, so we don't see the continue to see these situations like we did in Crescent Beach and uh, you know New Westminster, Coquitlam, Vancouver. I mean, they're all over the the, the, the major centers. And just one other question: We just saw the BC government and doctors of BC reach a deal where many doctors are saying they're quite pleased and they think it is a good deal. A pretty major bump in their compensation. Does that have any impact? Do you think on contract talks with paramedics as far as what they're asking for? Uh, absolutely, that's a similar vein. Obviously, we're not doctors, and uh, you know we support the fact that that model has been very. Uh, uh, needing to be enhanced and fixed, and for everything I've seen it from it, it does a significant move forward for uh, addressing some of our uh, medical or doctor and access to general practitioners and family practitioners and that. So I think that's a positive move that they've recognized the value and the need to change those compensation models. Um, you know, we've seen it with the teachers as well. Just most recently, it's coming out that there's been some adjustments recognizing that uh, low wage or that that gap in disparity between other professions and that. So that's a re- those are really positive events that have uh, seen a message that there there is an acknowledgement of the responsibility and accountabilities that uh, professions are seeing, and paramedics are definitely in that. And I'm optimistic we're, we're going to get there. We've had a real sense from or an acknowledgement from the government that uh, they understand the work paramedics do and value it. The public's in, incredibly supportive. Of it. Um, they're not blaming paramedics and dispatchers for the challenges we're seeing. In fact, they're coming out and saying, "Somebody, please support them." And that's the the you know the information we're getting, and that's the feedback we get. Um, but it's really tough on on our crews and our paramedics, and when they arrive at a call like that one in Crescent Beach and other ones where they can't do the best that they can in the system. Um, and operational stressors, that's incredibly causing pressure on them. All right. Well, Troy, we'll leave it there for today. But thank you so much for joining us today and talking more about this. Thank you, Jill, for continuing to keep this conversation live. And uh, again, thanks for all your support and your listeners.